Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning to you all out there. David McLean here, published not 3CR, and I've got a, pe- uh, a pre-record with Peter Millett and a very special guest who I won't introduce now, but we'll get to it after we have spoken with Peter. What does it take to be a spy? Peter Millett keys into the interests and attitudes of nine-year-olds in his Johnny Danger DIY spy series. So, Peter, welcome to 3CR. Thank you very much. Look, first and foremost, we need to establish the character and the challenges facing Johnny Danger or Jonathan Dangerfield. (laughs) Who is he, what is he, and what's the crisis? Well, I guess he's like any school kid. He has uh, dreams a little bit bigger than his current abilities. And that's not a bad thing, but he's in that interesting quandary where what, be careful what you wish for, because you may end up receiving it. And that's the energy of the story. So he is very ambitious. He sees himself as the next James Bond, just a couple of feet shorter than James Bond. So, but his imagination is very vivid. So he creates his imaginary world via the web, a fake profile. I know that's a bit naughty, but let's be honest. Who really is who they say they are on Facebook? You know, all these beautiful family photos. It's not what families are like, you know. So he just takes it a step too far creates a fake profile, then starts telling tall stories. So that's where he goes over that line. He crosses that line. Well, he he wants to be a spy. He's putting himself forward as a spy. Yeah, so he then creates fake memories and fake missions that he's been on. This is sort of dangling bait for problems. And now there is one crisis that has hit the world, and it's the Rudy bomb. Can you explain (laughs) this, please? Traditionally, villains will try and destroy the world with nuclear weapons, uh, alien invasions, massive armies. This bad guy, Dr. Disaster, has a much simpler method. Simply create a very sophisticated, uh, essentially a Microsoft Word virus that changes all of the words in any electronic document to become scrambled and ultimately to become puerile language. So what we have is the Queen welcoming people to Buckingham Palace, but we get Buckingham Pulace. Yes, unfortunately, and the International Mothers and Fathers Festival is corrupted to the International Muppets and Fathers Festival. And of course, poor old Queenie, she's on the spot reading live, she's an old dame, and uh, doesn't have time to manually correct what has been uh, sort of polluted uh, online. Yeah. Well, this is uh, where I want to go on to now, is writing then for that age group, because what you've done is look at fart jokes and all of these sorts of things, but they have a very important role to play for this age group. Well, they do. And, and, you know, I'm certainly not sounding high and mighty. If I'm really, really brutally honest, I'm not the world's greatest fan of scatological humour. As much in... It's, it's a gimme. It's a sure thing. Uh, If you're an adult comedian, there are certain jokes that you can throw out there which will guarantee a laugh. I prefer to try and keep it family-friendly if possible. It's family-friendly, but you play on language, which is what I like, and sort of expectation. So when MI6 comes calling, you have um, Milton and Martin, and they become (laughs) M&M. So you're you're playing on language like that. Um, Dr. Disaster has two cronies, 2A and 2B, and they become... The number two. And look, that, that was what was a wonderful discovery. That was just by accident. And then when I was reading it aloud, I thought, hang on a second here. We... <laughs> but it, it, yeah. it picks up on what 
children, yeah. even yeah. younger, have been yes. told, and all of a sudden it changes it. Yeah, yeah, well, and what this comes back to is clearly, and this was the same for me at school, I was a silent prankster. I never got caught. I like to drop little sneaky jokes around the place or say little sneaky things that people might go over the heads and someone might go, oh, oh, okay. And that way, when you were responding to a teacher, the teacher would be either, do I punish this child or do I compliment him? It was confusion. So then, this is where I come from. I'm a, I'm a silent prankster. Um, also then, uh, the, the, the play on language continues when you have anagrams. Yeah. So uh, one spy acting alone becomes Penny is a cool agent. Yes. <laughs> Look, the anagrams were great. In the middle of the publishing process, and this is where, as a writer, you are um, very, very in a good position to have an editorial team backing you up. You can't do this in isolation. We expanded upon the anagrams. Jane and Katrina, the two editors, said, look, anagrams are a hit. Children love to solve puzzles. Can we actually do a bit more of this in the book? So I went back and layered in more anagrams, because obviously they're not straightforward. They don't fall off the tongue easily or out of your mind. And I did have to go to Google a couple of times for a little bit of extra assistance because I'm not Albert Einstein. I can't, you know, reel these things off in a fast burst. But we deliberately went back and layered anagrams for the, the enjoyment of the children. And well, this gets to writing for that age group again and where yes. their minds are at. Yeah. You know, it's a progression from fart jokes to something just a little more yeah. involved yeah, with, with yeah. their playing with language. Yeah, and, and I could quite easily not have fart jokes in these types of books but like with the number twos happy accidents occurred so there they are <laughs> well well the rudy bomb is a kind of fart joke really and he, and, he, and he's got a fart pill as well yeah yeah that, that probably was uh me i'll take fair cop that was just absolute lowest comment on there but yeah. well you need that and and you build on that because yeah. your readership at that age is so diverse it mm. is well it is it is and um I've, you know, I've, I've had all sorts of medical experiences in my life, and um, some of those are um, me poking fun at some medical people that I know as well. But that's that's an obscure joke that very few people will get. But at the same time, there are also adult references, if I can put it that way. Yeah. yeah. So, for ex example, yeah. you've got the new Bond film, The Day yeah, Before yeah. You Die After Yesterday's Tomorrow. <laughs> well, it's going to take a, a nine-year-old yes. um, a yeah. wealth of um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sort of viewing to understand that's a compilation yeah, of a range yeah. of Bond titles. Now, what I've done there is I'm 47, um, so I'm of the 80s parents, if you like. We all remember the 80s. Now we've all got kids of our own. And... They look at Back to the Future and they go, my kids go, wow, I love those old movies. from the And, and, and that's like my saying to my grandparents about the black and white 50s movies. So this book is for families. So invariably, mum or dad might be involved in reading these stories. Well, let's hope they're reading to uh, their nine-year-olds yeah. still. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's what I want to do is, so for example, uh, Johnny's teacher is Mr. Moore. Roger Moore. There is at least 50 James Bond references hidden in this book. Oh, uh, I didn't get them all. No, there's plenty of them there. Largo Point. Largo is one of the bad guys yes. from Diamonds Are Forever. So um, I, I write for adults. I write, I, I, as Tina's discovered, I get bored quite easily. I'm a very, very short attention span. So to make it a challenge for me, I've, I play a game. So I've, in every chapter, the game is, what James Bond reference can I slip in here? So it's something for everybody. Yeah. Now, actually, you did get me at one point. And that's with peanut butter. 
Oh, <laughs> is that true? Just yes. to explain to the to yes. the listener, at yes. one stage, uh, yep. Johnny Danger has a problem with a disc that won't read. Yep. It is scratched. Yep. How do you solve that problem? Well, look, I've experienced that myself. Again, an 80s problem primarily of improved technology, but a scratch on a Def Leppard CD was a curse because you would, not like an old vinyl record, there's always one track that, but on a CD, you ruin the whole thing. So the issue is, a laser is beamed into a glass plastic surface to get the data underneath. So if you scratch the glass, the beam bounces away. So the simple solution is simply just to fill that crack with a subtle oil substance. And it happens to be that peanut butter has one of the most... This is not nutty peanut butter. This is smooth peanut butter. Okay. It, it actually does work. I have tested it and it works. Now, I'm not going to encourage all of Australian families to start peanut buttering their, their CDs that skip. But the thing is, I wanted to provide child solutions that children could think of themselves. Yes. Well, this is it. Um, we can move on from there. Although, you know, the peanut butter really did stop me in my tracks, it does work. so to speak. Yeah. If does. you're in a crisis situation, grab that peanut butter. <laughs> but this is it. Johnny Danger, of course, finds himself in a whole series of crisis situations. We won't actually tell yeah. the listener they've got to go out and buy the yeah, book yeah. and read for themselves. But how do you come up with these ideas? How do you reinvent them? Because there are traditional tropes there yes. um, where, okay, yeah. crisis, crisis, etc. Yeah. But you've got to be inventive with the solutions. You do. Um, I, I think for someone like me, I'm curious. Uh, I, I still, uh, maybe I'm old-fashioned, I still like going down to the library and grabbing a book that the title um, startles me. Like, what, what led to anagrams was there was a book someone had written on, on crazy usages for anagrams. And I thought, well, that's an interesting topic to look at today. Read that a few years ago pop it in the back of the mind. I might read uh, a book, the, the top 10 things you never knew that you could do with a household cleaning product, for example. So call me a nerd, but I'm just, I'm a curious individual. So I do bump into these things and I think, and I must have read somewhere at some point, you know, here's a, a if you don't have a, a technician available, here is a home remedy to solve this problem. This will save you a whole lot of money. You know, mm. there's, there's amazing things that you can do with toothpaste, you know, and Coca-Cola. So what I've done is I've just simply morphed that into Johnny can outwit his nemesis because he is using, let's use the word MacGyver, he's MacGyvering. MacGyver could make an aeroplane out of rubber band and a, and a popsicle stick, couldn't he? So that's where Johnny has the ace up his sleeve. He can outwit people because he does the unpredictable with the everyday. At the same time, it's within the framework of the thinking of um, that age group. My, exactly, yeah. And, and so I, I really don't want kids to start mimicking this stuff. <laughs> but that's a risk I'm prepared to take and the publisher's prepared to take. <laughs> which, yeah, makes it entertaining, amusing, yeah. and therefore the kids can identify with it, yeah. which then makes the implausible plausible. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think I'm giving the story away when no. I say that... that uh, Johnny Danger wants to be a spy mm. and then finds himself uh, being co-opted by MI6. Yeah. It's implausible, impractical. It yeah. couldn't happen in real life, but it could. Well, this is... I wanted to have it slightly in one foot in reality. When you watch a James Bond movie, there are some moments like hang gliding over a tsunami. Well, okay, that's not really going to happen, is it? But I wanted kids to read the book and, and not have it too far from... Okay. If they managed to hoodwink an MI6 and were sent on a mission, they could relate to the character. Now, obviously, my character doesn't do adult things. He doesn't carry a weapon. He has to use his wits only. So that's where the re it is realistic if you were thrown into that situation. And, and let's be really honest. What do we know about computers? We know nothing. What do people under 15 know? Everything. And also then, um, the adults are seen as totally incompetent. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, Johnny's father? 
Yeah, that's one of my most favourite characters, and um, I, I I can't tell you what happens with him, but something very significant happens with Johnny's father. He is my tribute to all of my lovely green friends out there who want to save the planet, and um, good on them because they try and convince me I should be doing more. I should be, you know, um, living in a mud hut and um, recycling everything that you don't want to recycle. But it's a tribute to that generation. Um, he means so well. He wants to save every insect on the planet and every little fly from harm. But um, yeah, and at, at the same time, Johnny is faced with an older brother who's um, a pain and yes. beating him up. Yes, um, we also get um, MI six, which are incompetent, which yeah, know, yeah, 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 makes us worry. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you've actually got some very conventional tropes there. Yeah, look, the big brother situation. I'm a big brother, so. Speaking from experience, we can be overly bossy and overly dictatorial. We're the first to have the car keys and all that sort of carry. In this situation, uh, I've got a little bit of a twist here. He is actually a genuinely evil big brother. And um, what, Hang on. Is there a big brother that isn't genuinely evil? Well, no. The, the, this guy is evil, and, and this isn't too much of a plot reveal. He will take one step into the side of darkness in this series, which will quite be quite shocking for the reader. Well, this gets us on to the series. Uh, how many have been out? So, is this the first one? This is book one. Uh, when I get back to New Zealand on Monday, I start writing book two, and then uh, ultimately there'll be a few days off, then book three. It's a lovely challenge to have as a writer. So just three in the series, or well, is it going to go on? Well, let's see. I'm I'm up for whatever we need to do. You know, um, I've, I could go more than three, uh, but let's uh, run before, you know, let's walk before we run. But three is what is, I've discussed with Penguin Books, that's our plan, let's get three going, and then assess. Well, Peter, it's been a fascinating discussion. <laughs> I've learned so much, especially peanut butter on discs. Yeah, yeah. It's the Johnny Danger DIY Spy uh, book, and it's going to become a series, and it's a puffin release, and they're from Penguin. So, Peter, thank yep. you very much. Thank you. That was my interview with Peter Millett. You are on 3CR, published or not, and I actually have a real live guest in the audience who's been sitting here patiently. It is the director of the Emerging Writers Festival in Melbourne, Sam Twyford Moore. So, Sam, welcome to 3CR. Thanks for having me. Well, basically, this is an open-ended discussion. Emerging Writers Festival. <laughs> what is it? How is it? Where is it? What have you got to say for yourself? It feels like an open-ended festival as well. <laughs> it's 11 days of incredible activity, uh, starting next Tuesday and running to Friday the 5th of June. Um, it is a huge mix of uh, professional development workshops, uh, networking opportunities and performance events and just a whole host of uh, new writers uh, showcasing their works. Do you have any numbers in terms of how many events, how many authors? I think we've got 150 events and 200 authors. You, so. you, you're looking remarkably <laughs> relaxed. My head's still on my shoulders. Your head's still, still on your shoulders. Well, you know, there'd be difficulties and challenges in putting such a, a thing together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, getting everyone together. You know, writers from across the country kind of come over. We've got uh, international guests. We've got two wonderful Indonesian writers coming coming um you know there are a lot of logistics but uh it's a lot of fun you get a lot of energy from from festivals so how does the emerging writers festival differ from the melbourne writers festival yeah well you know like we started in 2004 and i think there was a bit of an air at that time that uh you know that there was a need for a festival to represent sort of unheard voices the, the voices that weren't making it into necessarily those bigger festivals and i think i think from there it's really developed as a kind of festival that has a real community 
um, sort of vibe to it. You know, like it's, it's it's the festival for writers in a way as well. So, you know, it's it's there's a collective vibe. Is, is there a bit of, bit of rivalry going on? There? No, not at all. I think they lead really nicely into each other. Yeah. they really complement each other. You know, I mean, the Melbourne Writers Festival will always be the kind of big readers festival and very focused on publishing and those kind of kind of you know big big book kind of ideas things. But Emerging Writers Festival is almost like the fringe version. You know, like a little bit little bit grungier and. Well, it's an opportunity for the um, well emerging or those that haven't been published to to be heard. Yeah, to come up come up through the ranks, and you know, like we've seen a lot of our writers end up in Melbourne Writers Festival. You know, the following year, or you know, they they get picked up. There's a nice kind of tandem in that sense. Is there a growing uh, sort of mark, market's the wrong word, word or community of those voices? shall we say, given uh, the opportunity with digital releases and all sorts of things? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's been an increased interest in supporting new voices, I think, across the spectrum as well. I think there's been sort of a little bit of a generational shift maybe in the last couple of years as well where we've seen sort of bigger publishers going, oh, we actually do need to invest in new voices that haven't been heard before because they'll break into different markets. Well, one thing that's occurred to me, um, it's the well, the, the community's changing so rapidly, not mm. just with the means of releasing into the community with blogs and and all of this sort of thing but with things changing in society so rapidly there are need there's a need for more voices to sort of look at those changes address them and yeah definitely i mean one of the fun things about programming this year was we actually found a few writers through instagram so you know not the traditional means of kind of you know reading books or hearing things but there were some writers doing some really creative weird projects on Instagram. Um, there's a there's a wonderful collective called Dear Everybody who uh, patch, uh, match a poet with a uh, visual artist and they put these beautiful paintings up on their on, on their Instagram feed and then match it with a with a poem. And we've uh, invited them to do a live version of this at the festival. So, oh, wow. you know, there's kind of, there's, you know, really cheap technology out there that people are really using in very creative different ways. Well, that, yeah, the creativity behind mm-hmm. that technology. Yeah. So you don't just have to have it book in print via a publisher. And really low cost, you know, like everyone has a phone now. So that's <laughs> <laughs> Some of the features then of the Emerging Writers Festival? Yeah, look, I mean, the big centrepiece of the festival is the National Writers Conference, which happens on the 30th and the 31st at Melbourne Town Hall. Um, that's that's the big get-together um, where, you know, we talk about TV writing and there's just panels on, um, you know, unlikely paths of coming to writing. Uh, so, that you know, that's that's the real centrepiece. But around it, there's lots of late-night activity. We um, Our festival hub, Thousand Pounds, Bend, we invite these kind of smaller, um, you know, creative magazines and um, sort of smaller literary organisations to come in. We've got a wonderful um, event which is launching um, the book of the wonderful Indigenous writer Jane Harrison. Um, That's being launched by Black and Wright, who are a fantastic uh, editing collective from uh, Queensland who are coming down. So it's huge. There's so many highlights and it feels a bit wrong as a a festival director to pick one. But uh, Well, yeah, how can you keep your tabs (laughs) on them all? Exactly. As, well, as a director, how do you how do you manage that? You gotta you gotta watch over it. You've got a fantastic team behind you um, as director, but uh, yeah, it's it's huge. It's a really big festival. Well, here's another unfair question uh, for you then, in terms of the personalities and the writers that are there. You can't mention them all. No. Do you have a couple of favourites? We won't tell anybody that you're picking your favourites, but who's who's coming? Uh, I'm I'm really excited about the Black and White crew. Um, 
another another Instagram find was there's a wonderful young woman, um, Madeline Dore, who's been doing these uh, interviews called Extraordinary Routines, where she's been interviewing writers about their daily routines. Uh, and we've got her doing four events at the Wheeler Centre, um, chatting to four different writers. So um, she's just, yeah, someone else who's kind of taking that technology and doing really interesting things. Right. Um, and then you've got a different uh, different types of events, conferences, launches, networks, panels, performance. Performance, even. yeah. Um, one of the ones we're really looking forward to is we've got an event called Translation Nation, uh, which we're putting on with Monash University, who've been very uh, supportive of the festival. But they've had a real focus um, over the last little while on translation. And we were like, how could we turn this into a kind of interesting storytelling event? So we've got um, five different translators in five different languages translating one work uh, on the night. So it'll be read out in, uh, in five different languages uh, and you'll have surtitles on the screen. Uh, and it's it's by a young writer called Liam Peeper who's been doing some really cool stuff. So so translating from English into other languages, into five different languages, and the one story sort of kind of flow through. What uh, would be interesting would be to translate uh, a foreign uh, text, text into English and have five translators translate it into English because you'd get a series of different English versions. That then. might be the mirror one that we can do next, next year. year. <laughs> Look, there's my suggestion for you we've for next got, year. After the performance event, we've got a panel on translation that will kind of go into the into the art of translation. So that will follow directly after the performance. So right. quite fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anything in particular being launched? Uh, launched uh, Jane Harrison's book. Um, we also we invite um, literary magazines to come in. Overlander coming in to launch their story prize, which is a prize on a wine bottle. Now I saw <laughs> that, as in, um, th- and the winner of that was um, Leah Swan. W- Leah Swan, but it was one sentence. Yeah, but it was, it was a story that could go onto a wine bottle, onto the label. Simple, which <laughs> was simple, but also again these connections, as you say, you can use the digital technology. Uh, I, th- I think. Putting, putting a story on a wine bottle is a great idea. You don't have to sit down and do the full novel, you know. Like you don't have <laughs> you can, to sit there, well, you but... can have a, have a sip while you think about the novels, <laughs> I think, uh, is, is marvellous. Um, panel discussions? Panel discussions, um, yeah, I mean, we've got this, <coughs> excuse me, we've got um, a wonderful partnership with ACME. We do some events there. Um, we've got a, a kind of discussion on writing for web, uh, so writing TV shows for the web, and we've got the wonderful... Um, a comedy collective, The Catering Show, who put out a really funny uh, little web uh, comic uh, earlier this year, which was a parody of cooking shows. Um, so they'll be talking about putting that together. And that went huge. That kind of went, you know, really big online. So there's kind of some nice kind of uh, discussions around how to use the internet and sort of pushing your work out. Well, there, the are, there are forums out there where you can um, have your voice being heard, um, being terribly pragmatic is this a viable is is this uh, or are these viable opportunities for writers can you make a living out of these sort of ancillary uh, avenues yeah i mean that's you know there's always going to be a kind of economic pressure i think on writers um you know, it's, it's been going on it's been eternally going on, it's been yeah. going on for a long time yes. i mean we've got we've got a freelance masterclass that we've run annually for the last six years that it's always really popular because it does go into sort of some of the practical elements you know there's there's there are sort of practical um sort of tips throughout the festival there's an event called the pitch where we get editors up on stage to sort of talk about you know ways to get your work out there and you know the kind of almost protocols involved in sort of the economic kind but of see of this is interesting because you've got a contrast because the publishers would have a almost a set agenda. I'm, I'm grossly generalising in terms of how to get into print. But at the same time, you've got these other digital avenues where mm. it's almost... The rules haven't been invented yet. 
Yeah, yeah. But I don't. I think a lot of the publishers are watching those digital avenues as well. They're kind of, you know, they're pretty savvy now in terms of like reading, you know, across a broad spectrum to find the voices that they may want to pick up. Yeah. Um, so well, yeah. We've, we've actually had one or two authors in here who've uh, put things online mm. and then have been picked up by the major publishing houses because for whatever reason... Uh, what they've been writing has taken off. It's a new form or a, a new insight um, and such like. Yeah, and you're proving that you've got an audience there. You know, like people will share the work and if there's an audience online, then publishers will probably go, oh, there's potentially an audience in the bookstores. And you've got a much wider audience yeah, online. But how did you get involved in the Emerging Writers Festival? Uh, I started as a writer. <laughs> you start as <laughs> and, a writer and... And you, you found another you, job. <laughs> you pick up work here and there. Um, I, work, I worked at the New South Wales Writers' Centre in Sydney for a long time, um, working on their events and sort of supporting young and emerging writers through their programs. And then uh, the job came up with the Emerging Writers Festival and there had been a nice connection between the New South Wales Writers' Centre and the Emerging Writers Festival. So moved down to Melbourne and found a whole new scene down here. And have you done any writing yourself recently, given yeah. the pressures of running a festival? Yeah, bits and pieces. Did a bit of freelancing last year. And, uh, you know, you, you can you can carve out time between uh, doing the festival. You can? I'm, you I'm... can. It's possible. There's weekends. <laughs> How many in the organisational team behind uh, it all? Yeah, there's. Uh, we've got a fantastic general manager. We've got a program coordinator. And we've got a marketing coordinator. So there's sort of four core stuff. And then, you know, as you lead up to festival time, you bring on, uh, you know, the kind of the contract staff that uh, deliver the festival. Right. And so how many people would you be expecting to go through your doors to, to these events? Oh, look, we we do report annually about 12,000. Um, so across across all of the events, um, they, they may be the same people. There may be people coming to well, <laughs> coming hopefully, to if, there, if there are listeners out there and you haven't been <laughs> to the Emerging Writers Festival, here's your opportunity yeah. to, um, to find out more and, and go to one event. You don't have yeah, to go to them all. Yeah. Where can they find information on uh, this? Emergingwritersfestival.org.au .org.au, which would be the way to go. Um, yeah, so um, what does that say then? If you say 12,000, what does that say about Melbourne? City of literature, it is, you know, generally. You know, that we can attract those numbers is really, really a testament, I think, to the, to the support for literature. Um, and, you know, and that there's support not just for literature, but for emerging writers who haven't necessarily, you know, got their proven track record yet, you know. Yeah, but you, you said you came from Sydney. Is is there a difference between that the the communities there, the writing community uh, between Sydney and Melbourne? Yeah, I think there's a lot more support in Melbourne. Um, there's there's a big comedy scene in Sydney. A lot of the writing tends to be comic and quite performative. Um, but you know, I think I think there's there's definitely similarities there between them all. Um, networks. Networks, uh, yeah. <laughs> Networks is a dirty word for some people, I think. Really? But, uh, Why is that? I'm not sure. It kind of it can feel a bit off, but you know, I think the absolute best thing about the Emerging Writers Festival is, is the festival for writers and the audience. You know, we do the annual survey at the end of the festival each year, and 80% of the audience identify as writers. So you know, it is that community space where you can find, you know, a, a writer who you may be able to collaborate with, or you know, just an ally in a sense. So it's you know, it's that essential community kind of aspect. I think that's important. I'm going to put in a 
plug for one little session you've got, the Writability Salon, because yeah. I know somebody who's <laughs> presenting on that. But what's that, Writability? Uh, Writability is a program that's actually run by Writers Victoria. Um, and for the last two years, we've partnered with them to present a salon of the uh, writers who come through that program. It's a program for writers with disability. Um, it's an absolutely outstanding program. Um, and they just bring through the most amazing writers. Um, and it's a really great event because you're just hearing these voices that you would not necessarily hear at other festivals and it's um it's spectacular it's just a really really great event and and, and i like it being called writability rather yeah. than disability <laughs> because everyone's got a voice yeah and and you can express that um and such like um was i reading in the program um something about the deaf community as well yeah we offer a um so we run the pitch which is the the um, editors getting on stage, but before the pitch, we offer a kind of closed networking event for writers uh, who identify as deaf or hard of hearing, um, and we provide Auslan uh, interpreting services at that event so that they can network with the editors um, because, yeah, access is difficult and they may not get that opportunity elsewhere. So in, in many ways, Emerging Writers Festival is about access for all groups, uh, minority groups. Access, uh, inclusivity, diversity, they're a core kind of, you know, values. For all writers absolutely look sam it's been great talking to you that the time just sort of flashed by sam twyford moore uh director of the emerging writers festival get on to the website and look at any program that might interest you you don't have to attend them all you could attend one and get that twelve thousand up to twelve thousand and one sam thank you very much we've got ruminations coming in so we better get out of here